Hello, my name is Mike Ward and I'm the Global Head of Life Sciences and Healthcare Thought Leadership at Clarivate, a leading provider of tools and solutions to help those engaged in research accelerate their own innovation efforts. Uh, this episode of Conversations in Healthcare is actually being conducted in partnership with One Nucleus and the On Helix meeting. The theme of this year's On Helix is New Medicines in a Brave New World. In this series of fireside chats, I'm talking to key opinion leaders about how they are developing their activities to enhance the innovation of new medicines. And, and one of the most exciting, revolutionary new tools that, that has emerged and is now being employed by drug discoverers is artificial intelligence, machine learning. So in, in this context, I'm, I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Williams, uh, who is definitely well-placed to talk about this subject. Tim is the co-founder and CEO of Helix, an AI-powered patient-inspired technology company that's dedicated to helping uh, rare disease patients access life-improving uh, uh, life uh, treatments. Helix was uh, founded in 2014 in Cambridge, UK by Tim and David Brown, who was a co-inventor of Viagra and former global head of drug discovery at Roche. And in 2019, the company raised $56 million in a Series B round. So Tim, thanks very much for, for, for joining me. Thank you for, for having me, Mike. Uh, delighted to, to be here. So Tim, as, as I mentioned in, in my introduction, um, Helix is an AI-powered tech company with a focus on you know, finding uh, new therapies to treat rare diseases. So I thought it'd be uh, interesting to start off, you know, what inspired you to create a healthcare-focused AI company, and, and why the focus on, on rare diseases? Great, great question. So when I when I finished my PhD um, at Cambridge in 2013, there's a few things that that happened, and the the first thing was for me to to meet my co-founder uh, David Brown, who, as you explained, has a very strong background in in drug discovery. And uh, we had similar ideas of how we could try and improve the drug discovery process by using machine learning. And speaking to Dave, it was clear that there were many frustrations you know, across the, the decades that he worked in drug discovery and that we could basically um, improve that by using technology. Now, the second thing that happened was we met a rare disease parent called uh, Nick Siro. And he's local and he has two children with an ultra rare disease uh, called black bone disease. And at the time he was trying to repurpose uh, a drug as a cure for his kids. And, and we thought he was really ingenious because it's an ultra rare disease. So there's not many people working on it and there's no drugs being approved. So Nick managed to identify that uh, a molecule which was used uh, for, for plant purposes acted on the same enzyme that these children had uh, the mutation of. And so that's when we realized the power to do this basically at scale in a different way, uh, maximizing value of existing treatments for rare diseases, and also realized how big 
this therapeutic and met needies. So you have 7,000 rare diseases and 95% don't have an approved treatment today. And you can't ask all those patients and families to wait 10 to 15 years to potentially have a treatment. So you, you need to approach this in a different way. And that's why we believe technology can help do these at a different scale, different speeds, and have a much bigger impact. Okay, so you, you set the company up uh, nearly seven years ago. Um, so can you sort of describe, you know, so what, what progress you have made that sort of you know, validates, you know, for example, the use of artificial intelligence or machine learning in the sort of the, uh, the, sort of the drug discovery process for you know, a, a rare disease treatment? So, so far we've launched uh, 17 programs and uh, the, the most advanced one is starting phase two clinical trial uh, this summer. That's on, on Fragile X syndrome. That will be uh, a combination therapy trial, adaptive uh, clinical trial design. And so, which is a great validation for our approach and technology. Um, the other programs we've launched run across rare neuro, respiratory, kidney, oncology, neuromuscular. And so far in all the programs that we've started, we've only had one where we didn't manage to predict and identify active uh, compounds. So that's been an incredibly successful journey so far. And what's, what's very hard is that most, most severe diseases will actually need more than one mode of action or one drug to get the patient better. And so we focused heavily in, on the one hand, predicting uh, monotherapies, but also drug combinations. And that's very hard because if you look at combinations of two or three existing treatments, you have more than 10 billion possibilities per disease. So how do you select the top 10, the top 20 that you want to, to test and, and move to the clinic? And so we've had an incredibly um, successful validation of our platform and approach. And um, on the team side of things, we've been managed to, to grow in the team significantly. So we're now about 87 people and we're continuing to, to grow. We've raised around $70 million so far. And so everything's coming together and uh, we've made uh, good progress. So the, the sort of the identification of the, sort of the, you know, the molecules that uh, you're you know, looking to develop as monotherapies or in combination, are, they, are these already sort of your existing drugs that you're looking to repurpose or is it you know, potentially you know, coming up with ideas for de novo synthesis of, 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 of new molecules? So our primary focus is on monotherapy drug redevelopment, and some of them are already approved. Some of them have passed the phase one clinical proof of concept. Then we also focus on combinations of those molecules together. And then the third arm is around molecule enhancement. So you, you start from a molecule that has good enough properties and you enhance those further. So those are the three activities we're uh, looking into. Right. So, so in my introduction, I, I, I mentioned this AI powered tech company with, with a sort of you know, that healthcare focus, but 
can you sort of describe you know your business model you know do you have ambitions to be a drug company that will take programs to a proof of concept and then look for partners or are you actually going to you know do it all yourself great question um, so the, the business model for us is is very simple we're basically we're a drug company we want to bring treatments to market ourselves we also want to do that uh, in partnership. So some of the programs are partnered, but we want to build a fully integrated biotech company, but in a tech-driven way. So it's what we're trying to build is, is this next generation biotech, your, your biotech 2.0, where you try and apply technology, machine learning, data-driven approach across your process and improve the likelihood of success at each stage. And we, we're not interested in selling fee-for-service or, or selling technology to, to pharma. We're interested, in, interested to invent treatments, but the, the majority of the team have a tech and data background. So we're quite unusual in the way we're, we're structured, but the business model and the mission of the company is to invent treatments for rare diseases, bring those to market, and some of those will be will be part of it. So, so it, it is genuinely multidisciplinary. I mean, you said you have you know nearly ninety employees now in the company. So, you know, what is the sort of share from you know what you know, most of the audience would recognise as your conventional drug discovery um, uh, you know researchers, and what are you know those uh, you know tech uh, you know focused uh, employees. What's the sort of proportion? So right now, the proportion of more conventional uh, drug discovery experts is about 35%. And so the rest is tech and data. And the team that's been growing the fastest over the last year was our tech and data team, which grew from about 23 people to more than 50 people over uh, 2020. So that's what we're investing uh, the most in, and we're trying to recruit people from very strong technology backgrounds. So the last um, VP that we announced was Andy Watson. He was director of machine learning at Dyson. He's also doing a PhD in pharmacology on the side. So we're trying to really hire the best experts on the tech side and on the drug discovery side. And our CTO as well, chief technology officer, Mary Williams, uh, she has a rare disease herself, but was is one of the leading tech uh, CTOs in Europe, and has has scaled uh, engineering teams um, to very very rapid uh, growth. So we're really trying to to bring those together. So uh, they are sort of two distinct you know, populations with their own language. How do you sort of ensure? Um, you know, within sort of the culture of the company, that they're able to actually, you know, uh, communicate with each other and actually understand what each other is is actually trying to do. That's that's actually one of the hardest bits is, is to create a, a culture where people try to speak the same language. Indeed, build cross-functional teams behind common objectives and not end up with a situation where one expertise is considered more valuable than the other, because that's really 
And it's very hard to find people who have the backgrounds in both areas, because the particularly the AI field applied to drug discovery is quite new. And so you don't have many purple unicorns who uh, meet all those criteria. And so you have to do quite a lot of investment in training and development and build uh, a culture that, that values that and bring people together. And I think we've managed to do this quite successfully, but we're continuing to improve as well. That's indeed uh, that one of the hardest uh, things. Yeah. So there are more than 7,000 uh, rare diseases. So how do, you, how do you decide which ones you're actually going to focus on? I think that, that is the, the single most uh, difficult decision to make because um, from an ethical perspective, you want to be able to help as many rare disease patients as possible. There are worldwide more than 400 million people affected by a rare disease. Half of those are children. So how do you select the ones you're gonna prioritize and the ones you're gonna uh, commit to take to the clinic? And so we, we, we do this in a data-driven approach. So we, we have algorithms um, that help us rank the diseases, cluster the diseases. We also have expert curators and we assess a number of, of parameters uh, going from availability of data to feed into our algorithms, availability of models to test the treatments, the strength of the patient groups. We work very closely with the patient communities to help us move the projects forward, um, identify the information gaps and fill them. Then there's also all of the clinical planning and the, the endpoints, et cetera. And so we, we try to predict uh, likelihood of success. And that's a key way of prioritizing and selecting our diseases. And we try to approach it by building a risk balance therapeutic portfolio where we, we have programs of different risk profiles, different timelines to clinic, different cost bases, and then try and apply this in a more holistic way. But it is very hard, particularly to say no we we're being approached by many uh, patient groups to work together and we, we can't work on the 7,000 rare diseases at the same time. So that's really a, a hard uh, question and, and hard decisions to make internally. I mean, you mentioned sort of the involvement of patient groups. On, on the company's website, you describe Helix as being patient-inspired. What does, what does that actually mean? And, and how, how are patients shaping your priorities? So we were a mission-driven company. So we, we started inspired by a rare disease parents. For every program, we have a patient group partnerships or, or multiple. And that's, that's where we start. We, we strongly believe the, the patient groups and communities, um, they are the experts. They are the ones who know about the rare disease. They most clinicians uh, don't know that much about the individual rare diseases. So you really need to talk to them, work with them and involve them. And so we, we have uh, partnerships for all of our programs with uh, patient groups. But then we also uh, push this one step further. We've also hired people 
who have rare diseases. Some of our staff have children also with rare diseases. So we're really aligned behind that mission of finding treatments for rare diseases, do that at a different scale. And that helps us also bring the team together and have people working in a good, effective way, cross-functional way to find those treatments. And then after that, we've also, uh, or on top of that, uh, launched something called the Rare Treatment Accelerator, which is a program patient groups and other small biotechs academics um, can use to apply to us and convince us to start a partnerships and try and find treatments for a particular disease. And there the, the objective is to try and identify a possible treatment or combination uh, that's ready for the clinic within 24 months. So that's uh, very rapid uh, timelines. And so we've, we've set up a number of approaches and vehicles to really partner with the patient communities and think that's quite unique to Helix. So, so, so how, do, how do those, you know, those partnerships, you know, in the Rare Treatment Accelerator, you know, how, how do they operate and um, you know, what, you know, what do potential partners, I guess, have to demonstrate to be part of that accelerator? So that relates to the way we select and, and, and rank the diseases. And so there is an element around uh, the data that's available the translational process and information, the, um, the strength and commitment of the patient group themselves to really work with us, contact KOLs, help us plan through the clinical trial. And then we evaluate basically um, the likelihood of success and ability to translate our predictions to the clinic because that's the most important part. I think the making the predictions at this stage is, is reasonably um, straightforward. We've only had one project where we didn't have uh, active molecules. And, but then it's a whole translational journey that uh, can be more challenging. And that's why we're asking for their help and that we're partnering with. Right. So you, you mentioned that the, the, the lead program uh, is you know, focusing on, on, on Fragile X. What, what is the sort of status of that program? And actually, could, could you describe how it was, I guess, first conceived and what the, the sort of the steps in its development have been? So it was, was conceived uh, when a patient group approached us to start a partnership, so Fraxa, um, the patient group in the US, uh, was one of the leading patient groups for Fragile X Syndrome. They approach us because they've heard about our um, technology-driven way of, of predicting treatments, and which was quite different from what other people were doing. And so we started a partnership with them. We first uh, analyzed all of the data that's available. We always start with that, identify the quality of the data, the data gaps. Then we work together to identify and, and I guess, Fill, fill up those, those data gaps. And this particular type of data, which I think is much more interesting from a, a drug discovery perspective, we call that the, the omics and particular gene expression or, or, or transcriptomics. And so together we uh, generated that data, used that to make the predictions. 
Then in the second phase of the project, we started predicting uh, combination therapies, which we validated preclinically. And uh, now we have received the orphan drug designation uh, from the US and Europe. We're about to start the clinical trial uh, in the US should start this summer. So that's phase 2A. And that will test a number of, of compounds uh, in combination, first monotherapies, and then the combination arms. Those all came as predictions from our technology platform. And so we're super excited about that. And, and that's really been the foundation for the company, also for the partnership with patient groups, launch of the right treatment accelerator. And um, so, so yeah, that's a major milestone for us. Yeah. One of the other things, I mean, apart from being a, a co-founder of Helix, you're also the co-founder of the Cambridge Rare Disease Network. Um, could you describe what its mission is? Um, you know, who's involved and actually also how, again, it sort of helps shape you know, some of the priorities at Helix? So the, the two organizations are independent. Um, I started the Cambridge Rare Disease Network when I realized for Helix that there was actually no network around Cambridge and beyond to bring people together. So Cambridge is a, is a great place to, to, to start companies and launch new initiatives. It's, it's the first tech and, and biotech cluster in Europe. Obviously, there's a, there's a, a reasonably good university there as well. And, um, and what was missing is really uh, a network, an organization that would bring all those experts together and through events would also support local families uh, with rare diseases. And so we, we just rapidly realized that the, the support network wasn't there. And so that's what the, the Cambridge Rare Disease Network as a charity is focused on, is bringing people together, connecting them, organizing events, and really making the most of, of the Cambridge cluster, Cambridge cluster's expertise uh, to have an impact on, on rare diseases. And, and how do people get involved in that? Uh, you can uh, go to the, to the website. The, all of our events at the moment are online. <laughs> and um, to uh, crdn.com um, or okay. .org. Uh, good. So uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning right, in, in the drug discovery space, yeah, it, it's very, very young um, and it actually still has quite a lot of sort of naysayers. So I just wondered, you know, what, what messages would you have for such skeptics? Yeah, that's a, uh, another great question. So I think to the, the skeptics, I would say, it's not a replacement for drug discovery and clinical experts. It's just a new set of tools to empower the experts. It's not a, the magic wand where you press on a button and you get a drug. Don't believe that's true. But I do believe it can really help improve the stages in the process, improve your likelihood of success, uh, learning from it, but also allow you to approach it in a different way. And so we believe right now, we're actually at the third wave of drug discovery, which is basically your AI-powered drug discovery or tech-driven drug discovery. The first wave was basically 
phenotypic screening. The second wave of drug discovery was target-based. You'd start by selecting a particular target, you optimize your molecules for that. Then your third wave is really AI-powered and AI-driven. And there you can actually start in a hypothesis-free way, which is something that we've been focused on, where you remove this initial bias uh, from a particular target or a particular bias, and you let the algorithms decide what you're gonna focus on, which diseases you're gonna work on, which drugs you're gonna predict, the combination, et cetera. And so this is really the, the third wave of, of drug discovery, which I think is a, a very exciting time uh, for the field, but it's not your, your magic bullet and you press on a button. So I think everyone's on the, on the same page for that. And it's not a replacement for the, the expert. It's just a new set of tools to really improve things and empower um, the expert in our field. Right, so it, it's uh, an additional weapon in the sort of drug discovery arsenal. Uh, so um, uh, you mentioned about the, the, the planned phase 2A trial for the Fragile X um, uh, molecule this, this summer. What, what are sort of the next key milestones that we can um, sort of expect or, or we should be listening out for from, from, from Helix? So I think that's that's definitely um, one of them, and we have other programs following uh, behind. We are continuing to grow our therapeutic portfolio, so we're going to launch uh, 43 programs by 2025. We've now launched 17. There's a few partnership announcements that we will make uh, over the summer as well. We're continuing to hire and, and growing the team. So anyone who's interested to uh, join our team, contribute to our mission, uh, please uh, get in touch. And I think there's a, there's a lot of yeah, really exciting uh, things around the corner, but I think our first clinical trial is really a major milestone for us as a company. And uh, so um, we'll, we'll, we're looking forward to that. So, well, well congratulations on the uh, the sort of progress that you, you've made in, in, in such a short time. So, um, and, and thanks very much for, 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 for joining us and, and tell us about you know, sort of that, that progress that you've been making. Um, uh, also, um, I would like to, to, to thank the audience for, for, for listening in um, to this episode of uh, Conversations in Healthcare. And if, if you would like to be informed about future episodes, or actually also, you know, tune into uh, episodes that we've had in the past. So, for example, um, Tim mentioned Nick Ciro from uh, AKU Society. We actually had uh, uh, Nick as a, as a guest on, on, on a webinar that uh, we um, uh, broadcast a little earlier in this year. So you can get um, uh, two of those uh, at our site at, at Declarivate or click into our LinkedIn page where you'll be sort of giving notifications of uh, future episodes. Um, so thanks again, Tim, for, for, for joining me. And I'm Mike Ward and I wish you all well. <laughs>